When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Oh, glimpse me in the noonlight, glimpse me in the orchard boughs, glimpse me at the pinting hour, glass in hand, stooping to catch the lamplight in the mirror there. Glimpse me amongst all this, the chatter and the sudden silence, the smiles reflecting endlessly in the moon underwater. Robin, have you been out in the streets this eve? Yes, I always am. Did you see the shadows flickering around in the alleyways and the ginnels? The shadows? The, the shadow of the wind, yeah. Well, it's a very shadowy night in the correct realm this evening, and I noticed an awful lot of suspicion in the guttering is the only <laughs> yeah. way I can really describe it. The closes were filled with shadows. Yeah, and, and the shadows were very close themselves. Yeah, to each other. But I can sort of sense in the darkness a sort of almost a, a purer darkness flickering amongst those shadows and revealing themselves at the door of the moon underwater. Yeah, yeah. And I, I'm pretty sure it's this week's guest. It might be. So I'll undo the, the slatten bolts and the various uh, heaving mechanisms to welcome in celebrated author... Ian Rankin. Welcome, Ian. And everybody's now disappointed thinking we're getting Hank Marvin from the shadows. <laughs> <laughs> Whose real name? Anybody know Hank Marvin's real name? No. No. Brian Rankin. Is ah, it really? There, we go. there you go. There's a bit of trivia for you straight away. Wow. That could, there's a crossword clue in there, isn't there? Yeah, I'm, I love all that kind of stuff. Yeah. <laughs> well, please make yourself at home in the moon underwater. Pull up any kind of seat you desire or prop up the bar. It's entirely up to you. What What's your sort of favourite position in a pub? Are you a corner person, booth, bar, nook? Um, it depends how I'm feeling. I mean, sometimes when I go to a bar, I just want to sit and read the newspaper so I'll look for a corner seat. And it's an old police trick I was taught by many cops, is that you want a corner where you've got a clear view of the doorway. 
um, so that you can see who's coming in because it might be somebody you don't really want to bump into. <laughs> so you, you want a nice long time to get used to the fact this person might be about to approach or attack you. Um, and although that doesn't happen to me very often, I've still taken that advice to heart. So a corner with a view of the door if I'm reading, um, but otherwise I'm very happy to be standing at the bar. I'm like any bar person. That's when you get the ch- chat with people you've never met before. Yeah, and um, am I right in saying, I'm sure we'll talk about the Oxford Bar a lot, but it's thanks to you that there is a footrest at the Oxford Bar. Is that, <laughs> is that correct? <laughs> there always was a footrest, but it was down the side of the bar. In one of my early novels, I described it as being along the front of the bar. <laughs> and uh, then people would say to me, look, you got that detail wrong. Now, when I wrote that book, in my defence, I was living in France. <laughs> I probably visited the Oxford Bar only once or yeah. twice a year. So misremembering a detail, I think, is allowed. But yeah. anyway, the bar, the bar owner at that time, Harry Cullen, put in a, a foot rail along the front of the bar to correct my mistake. Um, and he said, for years after that, he said he would send me the bill, but he never did, God bless oh. him. <laughs> That's great. According to your Wikipedia page, and I'm aware that Wikipedia pages should be taken with large amounts of salt, <laughs> you, before you became a full-time novelist, had the incredible job or pastime of alcohol researcher that sort of sounds like a dream. That was a se- no. That was a serious job. That was as close to a private detective as I've ever been. Really, um, it was a thing. It was a, a research project that had been ongoing for years at Edinburgh University into the drinking habits of teenagers or young people. And I, 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 my girlfriend applied for it as well. So we both did this job, and uh, you had to track down people who had been interviewed two or three years before. You have to track them down. And then you had to interview them again, asking the same or a similar set of questions. Um, and you got paid for each one you completed. Um, now, having spent years on this research project, the shocking uh, truth dawned on everybody involved that young teenagers lie about how much they drink. <laughs> yeah. And as they get older, they tend to start telling the yeah. truth. And I found it's gone back around again because I'm lying again now. <laughs> <laughs> so... You are a, a man for whom the pub is is a huge part of not just your life, but your your the life of your fiction as well. Before we get on to creating your specific dream pub, I wanted to ask Rebus Cracker Morse Holmes, <laughs> what is it about detectives and alcohol, or in Holmes's case, I think a two percent solution of cocaine? <laughs> Why is that such a big feature of, of crime fiction and and of our sort of understanding of detectives and loose cannons in the first place? Why are they always trying to deaden their sort of uh, their brains? Well, you've, you've sort of answered the question in your final phrase there. Um, I mean, the job that they do um, tends to be at times very harrowing. Uh, it's a tough job. You can't go home to your family at night and and reel off the horrible things you've seen during the course of any one day. So you tend to go to the bar beforehand to let off some steam, to maybe discuss the case with, with fellow detectives or other professionals off duty. Um, and, you know, when I started drinking at the Oxford Bar, I was a student. Um, a mate of mine was the part-time barman in there and he dragged me in there one night and the place was full of off-duty cops to the extent that they had a, a, a black Mariah sitting outside to take them home as a sort of um, casual taxi service. 
And, and so it was a place where I could go and meet, uh, meet cops and ask them questions. And because they were off duty, they were happy-ish to answer those questions. And I just thought, I mean, you know, you're right. I mean, in a way, we like these mavericks. We like these people who are dark and brooding and, and awkward and charismatic and complex. Um, and part of that, I think, revolves around the pub. I mean, very few of these detectives are happily married. They tend to be loners. And so the pub represents or stands in for the family life they could have had. So the, the people who drink in the bar become their family. I saw, I saw you quoted somewhere this brilliant Martin Amis line, which I hadn't heard before, which is, life without women is a pub. Yeah, it's a great line. Like, That's a great line. Yeah. I think it's from, yeah. uh, I you know what, I can't remember. I think it might be from Money. I forget which. I was a huge fan of Martin Amis when I was a young man. And I definitely lifted it from one of his books, Without without uh, women, life is a pub. Yeah. Uh, and I, yeah, I just put that, I put it at the front of one of the books because I thought that just sums up Rebus in a way. Yeah. His marriage has fallen apart. He now lives alone. He goes to the pub every night and that is his family. Is it quite cathartic for you to live that experience through your character? Or are you drawing on your own experience with his sort of, uh, his 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 pub in place of a family? Well, I mean, I'm, I'm a method writer. What can I tell you? Um, <laughs> so, uh, so because my guy drinks in bars a lot, I do need to go to bars a lot just to make sure the research is correct. And it's tax deductible, I suppose, no? No, it's not a trap. Okay, that. sad. Uh, yeah. It's not like Bill Werbeneck, who had to have a certain number of pints before he could steady his hand to play snooker. Um, no, I did, I, you know, they, I mean, God bless him, the Oxford Bar used to give me little chitties to say how much I'd had spent in any one particular day. But my accountant always poo-pooed the idea that we could try and claw that back from the inland revenue. <laughs> <laughs> Now, come on, it is, for me, going to the pub is research. It is research. And a number of times somebody said to me in the pub, oh, hey, Ian, I've got a story for you. Mm. And 99 times out of 100, it probably isn't great. But one time out of 100, it might go, oh, and it gets the brain going and you come home and you've got the seed of your next book. Do you find you have to be sober to write when you're sort of in the in the midst of a novel? Oh, yeah. Oh, listen, when I, when I was young and I was a big fan of all these um, macho American writers, I thought you had to be high as a kite to write. Um, and I tried it and it was hopeless. Stuff you thought was superb. You woke up next morning and you just thought, that's ridiculous. <laughs> um, if you could read your writing, which sometimes you, or, you know, you, if you're typing it up, you're making so many mistakes, you've got no idea. So, no, I soon gave that up as a bad job. You've got, I've got to be stone cold sober to actually do the writing. Um, and even to do the research, really. Because there's no point, you know, talking to people and getting lots of great ideas if you then forget them on the way home because you've had one too many drinks. I always, I, I always think with your novels that Edinburgh is kind of such a character in the novels. What, what do you think it is about Edinburgh as a city that lends itself to um, these these darker stories? Maybe I don't know. I mean, it's it's a, it's a bit of a tardis Edinburgh. It's much bigger on the inside than it is on the outside. It's a very small city, so it's easy to navigate and it's easy to to think you're getting a sense of it. It does have that darkness within it. I mean, historically, very terrible things have happened and writers have, um, have, have, have learned from that and have written about it, going back to Jekyll and Hyde uh, and Conan Doyle, who's uh, born and brought up in Edinburgh, studied in Edinburgh, um, and based Sherlock Holmes on one of his lecturers at Edinburgh University. So there's always been that um, darkness. You know, you've got the old town, the new town, the irrational, the rational, the planned and the unplanned. 
Um, and that's great for crime fiction because the detective moves between the underworld and the overworld. He can give us access as readers to every layer of society from the haves to the have-nots. Um, and so Rebus early on suggested himself to me as a great character to allow me to explore Edinburgh from top to bottom. And uh, and I liked it. I mean, I do like the city. I like, um, I like walking around the city. I like walking into the bars. Um, and it still has got a wonderful variety uh, of bars. I just hope they all survive the forthcoming uh, apocalypse of heating bills because some of this, the the the, the um, bills that I've seen, the kind of you know small bars being told, oh your heating bill is going to go up from ten thousand a year to fifty thousand a year. You think well that's unsustainable. So we might end up losing a lot of these what we in Scotland call houses, H O W F F S, small local bars that don't do much except sell beer and whiskey. I've been going to Edinburgh in August since the late nineties, and it's very strange to have. A, a relationship with a city that has never really been your home, but you know, I've spent over a year of my life there at various times. What it's not like any other city I've been to, because you forget when you're am- amongst its alleyways and its different layers and its bridges and its archways that you're next to the sea and a, hu- a huge mountain and the most glorious landscape. But it does have this way of you can walk through and end up higher than you thought you were or you're below the road you're meant to be on so it has these sort of um it's almost like like an escher painting at times <laughs> then you notice that there are these what you assumed were just sort of you know the backs of shops are actually little alleyways with bars and restaurants and they lead down to other alleyways it's sort of you can never finish exploring it, even if you've been to every street. I would, I would say it's true. I mean, there aren't there. You know, there will be streets and alleyways that I've not been down. Um, although I've been, I've been down a lot of them. But there'll be little bits that are, that are always new to me. And I, I did like during lockdown um, when there were no tourists around, no visitors. Um, I was able to explore some of the little alleys off the Royal Mile from the castle down to Holyrood Palace which normally I would avoid because it's just too busy. And so I was able to walk down these tiny little narrow streets and you can imagine yourself back 100, 200, 300 years, not that much has changed. There was recently a huge fire. Uh, well, not that recently. There was a big fire that, that took out um, the cafe where J.K. Rowling is supposed to have written some of the Harry Potter books. Um, well, as, some of the, as remedial work is going on, they've, they've found a whole square um, underneath and behind the, the, the cafe, um, a whole square that used to exist and basically got kind of covered over. Um, so that's always happening in Edinburgh. You're finding this catacombs that haven't been explored. There are tunnels beneath the castle that haven't been explored. It's, it's a, a wonderful secret city that everybody thinks they know and nobody really does know. I, I remember reading, I think it's Mortal Causes, which is about this kind of whole subterranean area of Edinburgh, isn't it? Like all these streets kind of under the city. Is that right? Yeah, Mary Mary King's Close was a a real underground street, is a real underground street. And at the time when I wrote that book, the only way you could visit it and lots of other streets that were right underneath the city chambers, the kind of council headquarters, you just had to ask someone on the front desk of the council building if they could arrange for you to go downstairs and have a look. And it was extraordinary, kind of warren of of streets that had been basically paved over. They'd paved over the top of them. Um, 
And uh, now it's opened up as a tourist attraction and you can go and see, you can be led around Mary King's Close and you can see all the, the way people used to live. It's, uh, it's a fascinating um, uh, part of Edinburgh. But even then, there are tunnels that they've not really explored yet um, that are just waiting for somebody to go in with a torch uh, and, and, and hopefully come back alive. <laughs> doesn't always happen in my books. <laughs> we recorded a couple of episodes of uh, The Moon Underwater live in the Dagda in Edinburgh. And we actually, I, I actually bumped into you very briefly after one of those recordings. I, for my money, Edinburgh is the great pub city, probably in the world, because, you know, the UK is the, the home of the pub, as I see it. And Edinburgh has just got the best selection of different types of pubs and bars. Our favourites include the Dagda, Thompson's Bar, Bennett's Bar, uh, the Waverley. The Blue Blazer. The Blue Blazer. I, I discovered the, the bars and pubs of Stockbridge this year, which, you know, St Vincent, um, Antiquary, uh, St Bernard's Bar. It's a difficult question, but is there such a thing as a typical Edinburgh pub or is is the fact that they're so varied part of the appeal that you can always... Also went to the Jolly Judge for the first time. You're talking about those little alleyways off the Royal Mile. What an incredible thing to just step down. I love the little steps down into those sort of basement pubs. And they've all got a story behind them. They've all got a story to tell. I mean, the Jolly Judge um, is near the law courts. And back in the day, if you go back 100 years, uh, then all the lawyers and judges would have been drinking in there between cases. It was the closest place to get a drink. Um, not far from it is a Deacon Brody, which is named after a guy who was a um, gentleman by day and thief by night and who may have been the, 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 the may have given Robert Louis Stevenson the idea for Jekyll and Hyde. Um, every pub has a story, which I love. And you can get these traditional bars. Some of the ones you're talking about, they're very traditional what I would describe as a house, just a kind of place you go for drink and conversation. Um, we've got wine bars, of course, and we've got sort of upmarket whiskey bars. There's every kind of bar imaginable, um, catering to young folk and catering to the older folk. Um, I love it. I mean, I love introducing people. I'm actually taking a, a journalist out for lunch tomorrow um, to talk about my new forthcoming book. And we're meeting at the Abbotsford. Which Abbotsford's a great city centre pub that's just um, behind... Um, uh, it's just on Rose Street, so it's behind um, Princess Street. And it's near the Cafe Royal, which is another phenomenal... I mean, these places are phenomenal pieces of architecture. The interior design is extraordinary. You could spend your whole day there just staring at the ceilings and the walls if you weren't still, you know, if you weren't busy looking at your, your pint or making sure I'm doing pick in your pocket. Um, so, yeah, it's got, it's got, as you say, it has got everything. But you know what? I was on holiday recently. My son and I went on holiday to um, Belgium, and we, we based ourselves in Brussels, and my goodness, they've got some good bars. Oh yes. <laughs> I mean, you're talking about a you're talking about a, a beer menu, a beer menu that runs to six pages. And in one bar we went to, one of the beers, one bottle was priced at 130 euros a bottle. Oh, what did it taste like? You tell me, mate. I wasn't there. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, I'm just thinking you would hate to be on a on a on a stag weekend without you knowing it. One of your number, one of your yeah. number on the round is having that. <laughs> so when we start to think about what your dream pub would look like, are you sort of taking bits of different pubs you know? Or do you have a very sort of clear vision of what you want to step into? Uh, you know, I mean, the, the, I've been going to the Oxford Bar since I was 24, 25. I'm now 62. 
it hasn't changed really that much. It's still all about the people. It's all about the people who drink there. It's almost like a private members club in some ways. The first time you go in, you're a stranger. The third time you go in, they're saying the usual. Um, it's that kind of place. And that's pretty, and it doesn't have, it's got a TV, but the TV's almost never on. There's no jukebox. They don't do food. Um, it's a place for, for, for booze and conversation. So quite a lot of what I already get in the Oxford bar would be present in my perfect pub. And it's really important through, you know, the first financial crisis, through COVID, through lockdowns, and now through the cost of living crisis, to find a way to support these pubs that that only serve booze. They're, they're not like two or three different businesses in one. They're, they're these sort of... Like Thompson's Bar and Bennett's and the Dagda, they're sort of just these cubes of wooden cubes of drinking, <laughs> which I absolutely love. It's not just drink, though, is it? It's all about it's all about communality. It's all about meeting. It's all about meeting people who are going to become your best friends. Yeah. Or you bump into a stranger who's got an interesting story to tell. It's a place where you can stand at a bar and you can spend an hour or two hours, and your life will be enriched by the conversation. And, and that's another thing that I think COVID has, has put a damper on to some extent, that people aren't so keen to stand close to a stranger in a closed room um, while they are expectorating, um, and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and, and uh, you know, so people are a little bit wary still of going into these places. The Oxford Bar is tiny. I mean, it's basically two rooms. Um, I mean, neither of them any bigger than a dag bar. And... Um, uh, and people are a wee bit, still a wee bit wary. It, it keeps its door open a lot more than it used to. I've noticed that. But come the cold weather, that's not going to be such a, a, a that's going to be such a, an easy thing to do. But yeah, I mean, the perfect pub depends where I'm in the world. You know, if I go to America, I'm looking for a diff, diff, very different kind of pub from the pub I'm looking for in Edinburgh. Um, you're looking for a dive bar where you're going to sit at the bar, and you're going to eat a burger, and you're going to drink a beer from a bottle usually, and it's going to be loud music playing and kind of guys itching for a fight. I mean, that's what you want, right? That's what you want. When you walk into an American bar, you want something out of the movies. But without getting sort of caught up in the violence. <laughs> yeah, I mean, as, as a writer, I like to be in the corner watching the violence and perhaps yeah. commenting on it or storing it away <laughs> for future use. Yeah. I've always wanted to ask, have you ever been tempted to like do a Rebus novel where there's like no murders, like nothing bad happens, but he just goes to various pubs? Jesus, who would buy it, man? Come on, who would buy I'm that? Yeah. <laughs> sort of like um, a- a- ASMR novel, where it's, yeah. just, it's just endless scenes, peril-free of someone drinking in a pub. Yeah, I mean, I've done short stories without murders, where Rebus basically just sits in a bar um, and, and muses on some case past. I did do a non-Rebus novel called Doors Open, uh, which was about a heist. And the, thing, the nice thing about a heist is you don't need murder in a heist. You've got lots of tension. Will the heist work? How is it going to work? And afterwards, do they get away with it? Um, so you've got all of that drama without actually needing a dead body. But a dead body is an excellent way of getting a story going. Mm. Or, or ending a story. Yep. As, yep. as, as Shakespeare used to do. They're all dead. <laughs> the end. <laughs> Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Let's start kitting out uh, your bar. You strike me as a, a pintsman, a, a, a beer lover. What two items would you have on draft? Well, I'm drinking one of them just now, actually. I've got, I've got Cromarty here, Cromarty uh, Brewing, which is a fairly new, fairly recent um, brewery in Scotland in the town of Cromarty, where I have a holiday home. I go up there and I write a lot of my books up there, or I did until lockdown. Um, and I'm a big fan of Cromarty. They're quite, they're a sort of new wave um, brewer in that it's very hoppy, very American style. And the one I really like is called Rogue Wave. Rogue Wave or Happy Chappy, which is what I'm drinking just now, or Cowabunga. <laughs> I'd have to, I, would have to have a, I would have to have a Cromarty on tap or else I would get in trouble with the Cromarty brewery. And they know, and they know where to find me. <laughs> Some of the new um, kind of kind of more craft beers, uh, there seem to be a lot of them coming from Scotland at the minute. Like I'm drinking one, which is from Glasgow, Overtone, which is really really nice. And there was a, a, a few guys from Wasted Degrees Brewery in Edinburgh came along to the Dagda show, and that's another really nice one. Great name as well. Oh, there's a lot. I mean, there's, there's lots. There's a, there's a lovely scheme here. I'm going to forget what it's called. But they, they, there's a, a market on a Saturday, the farmer's market, and there's a kind of local sort of confederation of, of craft breweries who go along and try and sell you mixed cases. And they do a thing at Christmas where you get your um, advent beer box and your advent beer box is 25 cans of beer in a big box with numbers on the top and you sort of rip open one number every day and get a different beer. You don't know what you're going to get. And it's a, it's a 330 ml can of beer and it might be something disgusting you know fruit beer if you're not into fruit beers or something or a, a very rich stout if you're not into rich stout but you're discovering new beers um and and a fair a, a, an amount of money from each sale goes towards charity so as you're drinking the beer you're feeling good about yourself <laughs> <laughs> so with with the chromaty choices maybe to narrow it down the the rogue wave is 5.7 yeah i'd have the rogue wave i'd have the rogue wave wow. i think is what i would so have. quite strong that is fighting juice. Uh, no, no, no. They do a much stronger one. They do one called AKA, which is about 6.3. I mean, it's the only beer I've ever been warned off drinking in Glasgow. You know, you walk into a bar in Glasgow, you don't expect a barman to warn you how strong the beer is you're about to drink. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
so I definitely have that. And I'd have to have something like, a, um, I mean, Juker's IPA is what I kind of grew up with. Um, and uh, it's still being made, although I think the brewery in Edinburgh has just closed, uh, the Caledonian Brewery, which oh, no. was, uh, yeah, I think, I think there is literally no big brewery left in Edinburgh now. They've moved out to, I think, Dunbar. So they're brewing it in Dunbar or somewhere near there. So, so do they pipe that smell of the brewery in now? Well, <laughs> how do they do it? I mean, uh, hopefully these little craft breweries are going to have to keep the smell going because otherwise, yeah, there's no... there's no. I mean, they were down to only brewing a day or two a week. Uh, so you can only get that hopsy, yeasty smell one or two days a week anyway. But anyway, um, Juker's IPA, I'd probably have to have. So that's a dark beer. We've got two dark beers. If you want lager, go elsewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not a bad shout. And could you contribute to an ongoing discussion we have on this uh, show about the use of sparklers? Because Robin and I are both very keen to have ale poured through a sparkler to give it that wonderful, thick, creamy head. And Edinburgh is such a great place if you're a lover of beer poured that way. Is that how you prefer to have your beer? Um, yeah, I mean, I like a decent head on it. Um, definitely, I do like a decent head on it. Um, yeah, I, you know, that kind of, I remember going down to England for the for early on when I was a young man and, and flat beer, you got these flat beers, it was a pint right to the top and there was no head in it at all and that seemed really strange to me. I love a pint of Guinness. I love Guinness for that creamy head, I just love that. You know, it's almost like of an ice cream. It takes you back to childhood. Um, when my parents used to give me Guinness, no, um, <laughs> but it, but you know, so yeah, 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 I'm a, I'm a fan. But you know what? It depends. It depends which culture you're in. If I'm in a different country, what is what do you do? What do you like to do? Let me try that. I want to try something different. You know, I mean, I've said I'm a bit sniffy about lagers. Well, in Belgium, I did nothing but drink lager because that's what they basically have is lager, um, and they were lovely. I mean, it's all made by monks, so you know it's good. Mm-hmm. You're on the side of the angels when you drink that stuff. <laughs> yeah. The moon underwater, the moon underwater, the moon underwater, the moon So next up we've got cans and or bottles. Two of those, please. Uh yeah, well, um Yeah. Uh, well, let's get in. So let's get some tenants and cans in because we do need lager at some point. Nice. You know, let's get what we up here call council beer. <laughs> council beer. Um, so we'll get some tenants and cans because it. You know, nothing takes you back to to the you, you, your youth when you were certainly trying to smuggle beer into a football match, um, or a, or a festival, a music festival, or something. And it was the kind of clank of the dozen yellow cans of tenants that you were trying to get in. So I would definitely have that. Um, that that would be a hoot. Um, and, you know, possibly if we're going to have some Guinness, let's get Guinness with a widget, because the widget was revolutionary. Oh, great shout. No one, Guinness is the most popular choice in the moon underwater. No one has ever chosen it in a can before, but I think that's a great shout. Well, I mean, just that, that widget. I mean, before that, Guinness and cans had been undrinkable. Mm. And then the widget just changed everything, and suddenly everybody was trying to do their beer with a widget because it gave it that extra bit of life. Yeah. So, 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 no wines in this. Uh, for, for, no, no wines in this choice here. Look, I drink wine at home. I drink wine in restaurants. I do not go to. And who? I mean, for God's sakes! What are you going to do? You just go up to the bar and you go, "Oh, can I get a, a Chenin Blanc, please?" Uh, and this little plastic bottle arrives with a screw top, 
and you sort of, you know, do you want to smell it first? Do you want to taste it? No, just pour it. You're kind of ridiculous. It's a kind of, you'd be as well sitting in an airplane drinking wine. Come on. Yeah, yeah, you're right. No, go to a wine, go to a wine bar or go to a restaurant and drink wine. Do not go to my pub and drink wine. No one's actually ever said that before, which is, which is interesting. Well, you're, you're talking to an old fogey here. Guys, <laughs> That's great. And you know what? I mean, the thing is, Edinburgh was central to the wine trade. Um, uh, there's a great book called Knee Deep in Claret that's well out of print now, but it was written by a guy called Billy Kay, and it was absolutely fascinating. It was about how the Scots got heavily involved in the Bordeaux wine trade back at the time when England was at war with France. The Scots kept bringing wine in, and wine would land by ship at Leith Docks in Edinburgh and would be hauled up the slope to central Edinburgh on a horse and cart. And people would come out of their homes with buckets, pails, whatever, and just get it filled up from the cart. Um, and and it's, a, it's a brilliant book. And Edinburgh was at one time, as he says in the title of the book, knee deep in claret. Claret was what your kind of posher folk drank and the people who couldn't afford it drank whiskey. I'm not a lager drinker, so I'm going to have to defer to Robin, but where does tenants sit <laughs> on the spectrum? Because I hear people sort of be quite disparaging about it in Edinburgh, but is it any different to like Foster's or Stella? I've, I've just got a lot of love for a national lager. Every country has a national lager and they're all fine. Right. You know, like, uh, yeah, a uh, Serbian one is called Lav. Oh, jeez. It's, it's quite nice. What's the Eng- is Carling the English national lager? Carling's the English one. We 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 could gloss over that maybe. I think Stella is probably the English one. Bizarrely, um, Sagres Portuguese one is lovely. You know, they're just they're they're fine. They're all good. But if you if you if you were in Glasgow on a Saturday afternoon, you guys particularly, and you walked into a pub and suddenly the old firm match was playing Rangers versus Celtic, and everybody the piano stops playing and people turn around <laughs> to look at you. Because you don't look like you fit in, really. You're not wearing a string vest, and you you look like you've had a shower in the last couple of days. <laughs> if you go up to the bar and order tenants, you're okay. You're not going to get you're not going to get bottled. Mm. So it's a good safe drink. I once went on a pub crawl on my own in Glasgow, and I ended up being sick in a hotel divan as a guy was showing me how to use the Nespresso machine. <laughs> <laughs> the first time I ever went to Glasgow, it was the day of an old firm match, and it was. I was doing a gig at the ABC, which isn't there anymore. I think it burnt down. Um, I just remember looking out on the street, and it was about like two o'clock in the afternoon, and it was literally like, like pubs with music, like it was like it was two in the morning. You know, it was like it was party central. Yeah, I was on Saturday, just this Saturday past. It was a Celtic Rangers match, and I didn't realise that. And a friend of mine from where I grew up had arranged to come to Edinburgh with a few friends for an afternoon of drinking, and it was just mayhem. You know, bouncers on the bars at 12 noon, yeah. eight deep at the bar trying to get a drink. We just, oh, geez, why, why, why are we doing this? Um, but, but we, you know, somehow, somehow we just, we just kept going. We just kept going. <laughs> See, that's good. <laughs> it takes guts. Yeah. Guts and determination. But we did it. <laughs> well, we're going to take a break from Ian Rankin's Dream Pub uh, so far. He has Cromarty Rogue Wave, 5.7%, Duca's IPA, Cans of Tenants, the Council Beer, and Cans of Guinness with its widget. It's very much a half, uh, not a million miles from the Oxford Bar, but we must improve our minds with the Moon Underwater Pub Quiz. Robin. 
Okay, everybody, pens out, eyes down. It's time for the quiz. He played for Zimbabwe, but he was born in South Africa. I know Alaska is bigger. That wasn't the question. Put your phone away. Right, Michael Jackson's Funky Monkey have been deducted five points. Thanks, John. Yeah, Ian, how do you feel about... Uh, pub quizzes. You've you've already Im- impressed us with your trivia about Hank Marvin. How, how do you feel about pub quizzes? <laughs> Absolutely hate them. Do you? <laughs> oh no. Are you going to Are you going to subject me to it? One or are you going to subject me to it now? I, I am, but I think you might like it. Um, it's <laughs> it's five questions about. So we've discussed pubs in novels, but how well do you know pubs in TV programs and films? So it's five questions about pubs in TV programs and films, and we'll do the answers in part two. What do you think? How, how do you think you'll do? Uh, I'll probably get one out of five or something, I would think. Okay. Being generous. <laughs> sure. Okay. Well, let's, let's see. Okay. So in question one, in the 2004 film Shaun of the Dead, it is suggested that we have a nice cold pint and wait for this all to blow over in which pub? Question two, The Feathers is a pub which is often alluded to but never actually seen in which British sitcom which first aired in 1998? So that's The Feathers. Uh, Question three. The 1981 film An American Werewolf in London begins with two American backpackers seeking refuge in a pub on the Yorkshire Moors. What is the suitably bloody name of the pub? And question four. An episode of which 1980s British sitcom features Madness performing House of Fun in a pub called The Kebab and Calculator? And question five. You might order a pint of numbers in the Two Brewers pub in which British sitcom which first aired in 2014? There you go, five five questions about pubs on the silver and small screen. Oh, very good. Silver and small. (laughs) Well, we leave you for now, dear listeners, uh... On the tenterhooks of the Moon Underwater pub quiz, but I, for one, cannot wait to get back to Ian Rankin's dream pub and from what pub experience it is drawn <laughs> from a deep, deep well uh, of Edinburgh pubs, of pubs in Belgium, America, Canada. So we'll see you back in part two. If you would like to support us, head to moonunderpod.com to find out about subscribing on patreon which gives you ad free episodes but also gives you access to ian rankin's bonus choice his dream pub companion which we will hear about in part two deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 
What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 